I'm just going to pray. Father God, thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is life. And I pray you'd speak to us now through what I share from these beautiful words in Romans. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's no doubt we live in incredibly challenging times. Uh, I, I never do this because uh, it costs an absolute fortune these days. But I thought, well, I'll go out and I will buy some newspapers. A tenner later. A tenner for buying a whole load of, you know, whether it's the Times, whether it's the Telegraph, whether it's the Guardian, whether it's the Daily Rag uh, mail thing. I thought I would go through the first four, sort of four or five pages and see if I could find any good news. And I worked out pretty much every, as I went through, probably it was about 10% were directly good news stories. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that we are surrounded by bad news. And even within the journalistic uh, framework, they state that the best news to get people is bad news. And we, we know it and we love it, really. I mean, we're British. We like a bit of bad news, don't we? We're almost wired up sometimes into it in a way that culturally, I think, is, is a challenge for us, isn't it? We tend to negative. I mean, okay, that's watching England rugby, but the, the fact is, is we tend to the negative. And the, the, the fact is, is that we so easily have bad news. And the reality is there is a lot of bad news. We're in a season, we're in a time where it feels like we are surrounded by bad news. Even this morning, waking up and, 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 and just realizing I have a house. I have heating. I just cannot imagine what it's like for millions of people in our world today that are affected by war. There is bad news. And when we talk about bad news, it's not like the bad news that other people are facing. But as well, I've got to say, it's a period of, of time where I haven't known as much of a sense of bad news, the pastorally, just chatting with people, even within the church or outside the church, the pressures that people are under, it feels like we're surrounded by a sense of bad news. And into it, what does God have to say into the world? Huge question. What does he have to say into those things? What does he have to bring hope into? What does he have to bring in to the reality of the journey that we are taking? What does he have to say? This is why I'm so excited about the fact we're grappling with this book of Romans. It is the jewel, if you like, of the, of the, the crown of the New Testament writings in many ways. Yes, we have the Gospels, which are the core of which we, we are foundational to understanding about Jesus. But Paul, who wrote most of the rest of it in Romans, sums up the core of of, of, if you like, making uh, sense of life. And so I just want to encourage us to make it every week as much as we can. We're going to be in two halves. We're doing half of Romans before Christmas and the other half afterwards. And in groups, small groups, if you're not in a connect group, get into a connect group. We're going to be using a variety of different resources to help us to understand what can often be a pretty uh, sometimes challenging book. But what I love about it, there is no sugarcoating when Paul talks about the realities of life. There's no messing around. He goes right to the core of those big questions of life. And that's what we're going to be spending some time. In some ways, it's going to be a little bit like going up 
a, uh, a mountain. <laughs> Pretty sure I've got it on. Okay, there we are. Right, a mountain. Uh, my, my daughter's here today and probably the biggest mountain experience that I've experienced in recent years is when we went to the Lake District and we went up the beautifully named mountain Skidore. And we were suggested that we went up a route that wasn't the, the sort of tourist route, if you like, but it, was a, it involved a lot more climbing. Uh, we didn't realise there were going to be ups and downs. There were going to be scrabbly bits. There were going to be scary bits. There were going to be... And then suddenly the weather changed like it does so often in the Lake District, usually involving rain. And um, we found ourselves scrabbling up this one bit. And I was overtaken by fear. I had to be saved. I had to be saved by my, my daughter and my, one of my other sons in this rather pathetic moment when we were caught on this sort of slate place. But it was amazing that within about 30, 40 metres, then we found safety. And life is like that, isn't it? Life is like a journey. Life is like a mountain. And so what we're going to be doing is going through this mountain of, of, of discovery together over these um, next few weeks. And I think it's going to be challenging, but it's going to be fun. We're going to discover what is sin all about? What is salvation? How can we know real peace? What does it mean to be truly free? Where is hope found? Where is community? What is God's purpose for our lives? Our main resource is going to be the Bible. I want to encourage you, like I said I think a few weeks ago, bring along your Bibles. We're going to start bringing our Bibles to church. I brought mine here, which is one I, I have. I've got one of these ones which are quite helpful, which you can get, which are, oh, sorry, um, which uh, you can write things down the side of it. I do recommend them. They're great. You can scribble all over it. You can see there's lots of places that aren't scribbled all over that I need to read. But the point is, is let's start bringing our Bibles to church. We used to do that years ago. I thought, well, why don't we do that? All right. I'll give a prize for the biggest Bible if people want a bit of, uh, bit of incentive, whatever. But let's bring it because we want to work it. We want to say, that's as important to me as my phone. We'll carry our phone around with us, won't we? And we'll pick it up. And you say, well, yeah, but you can look at the Bible on your phone. Yeah, okay, okay. But the point is, is that it's fascinating, isn't it? That we, will, we, we give to the things we want to give. We give. I just encourage us to bring our Bibles. Secondly, there are other resources we're going to be using. A guy called Andrew Ollerton, who wrote uh, the, the Bible course, if you remember that. Uh, he's written a book on, uh, written a thing on, the, on Romans, a course. And we're going to be following that partly in the groups. There's going to be some video input from him or whatever. And there's a book at the back as well. Uh, some books available there, £15, down from £17, okay, deal for you today. Um, but um, if you want to uh, get one of those, then please do. You can use the, um, the, the contactless for paying for it as well as cash or whatever. So, well, at this moment, here we are, the beginning of Romans, right at the beginning. It's a bit of an intro, really, today into this thing. And then right into the middle of it, into bad news, Paul, it says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel. And the Greek word for that is euangelion, which you get the roots of things like evangelical and other things like that. But basically what it means is bringers of good news. We are bringers of good news. He's so excited about this word good news, he used it at least 60 times during the whole letter. And of course, that word euangelion wasn't a surprise, so people wouldn't be surprised by that word. They wouldn't say, oh, wow, it's a new churchy phrase that we've got, that they come up with. You know, like Christians who go around saying, it's good news, isn't it? It's 
marvelous good news. It wasn't a new, a new word because they used euangelion all the time. When the emperor was, um, uh, had something he wanted to announce, he'd won a big battle or uh, a son had been born or something like that, the herald would come out and say, euangelion, Barnet. He would come out and say, he'd herald this good news. The emperor, this has happened, that has happened. And it's something that carried authority and had meaning. So immediately they would understand this good news. There's something about it that's different. Of course, it was based on the fact the emperor saw himself as the son of God. He was known as the Lord. But what he's saying here, Paul is saying, hey, there's a new person in the room. And he is the Lord. He is the son of God. That is the euangelion. That is the gospel. So what is this gospel? The actual root word, funnily enough, is from an English word as well of God's spell. You might have heard of the musical. God's spell, which actually means God's story, which I love. Have you ever thought about yourself? You are part of God's story, God's good news, both in a a cosmic sense, but also in a small sense, just in your street. You're part of God's story for that place, for that school, for that college, for that workplace. You are part of God's story in that place. Paul is already, just in verse 1, bringing out a picture about it. And fascinating start. When you write a letter, I don't know whether you write letters these days, you know, those things, remember them? But the letter, when you normally write a letter, you write, dear, you write to the person you're writing to. You write that first, dear Aunt Agatha. There's always an Aunt Agatha, isn't there? Whatever. But, you know, dear, you're that person. And then you sign it at the bottom with who it's from. This is reversed around the other way. Paul always started off by saying, hi, I'm the one writing this letter. Or actually, it was written by a scribe on behalf of him, interestingly enough. Um, but, or, or with him in the room. Uh, but he, he puts his name up there first, introduces the author. And then, actually, at the end, in chapter 16, we see the people he's writing to. And he writes a whole list of various people in different ways. So, if you've got Romans 1 in front of you, great. All right, which was page 1128 uh, in your church Bibles. Uh, it's fine. You look, can I just say, you won't be battered if you don't bring your Bible because there's other ones available. We're just going to Bible you out in a variety of different ways. Uh, and then you might want to keep a finger briefly in, in Acts 16 as well. We're going to refer to that. So who wrote Romans? Well, here we have the picture. <laughs> Graham's ahead of me. Uh, is, is, is a picture of Paul. We don't know whether it actually is what he looked like. But anyhow, this is a picture of Paul. And actually, as I said, in, in, in chapter 16, verse 22, it actually mentions about the guy who was, could have been a scribe for him. Quite often, even Paul refers to the fact that he had trouble with his eyes. He didn't have spectators in those days. And he had trouble with his eyes. In Galatians 6, uh, it says that he struggled with his eyesight. And therefore... What he also needed quite often was a scribe. And he would have, that would have been a common thing in those days for someone to scribe it. And a guy called Tertius was the scribe. It says in 1622, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Doesn't mean that he's, it's lost its authority. Doesn't mean that it's not his words that he's speaking, that God takes and is inspired, which makes it relevant for us. But who wrote it? This guy, Paul. And he introduced himself in the most amazing way. Paul, a servant, or you could translate a slave of Christ Jesus, 
called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He introduced himself in the most amazing way. You see, it's amazing because the fact is he was a Roman uh, citizen himself. So he was one of the okay people. Why would he call himself a slave? To be called himself a slave was literally to be called just a, uh, if you like, almost a a breathing machine, effectively. You were a a non-entity. You were just something to be useful. But he's saying, I am a slave. I've become a slave who too? He says, a slave of Christ Jesus. The thing about Paul was, Paul was totally, and you read this, it, it, it oozes through all of his letters, his love for Jesus. He was so passionate about Jesus. He was like one of those grandparents you meet. Like a guy I played cricket with the other day. I was out for a meal with my team the other day. And this guy Bernard, who's normally a grumpy old so-and-so and, and, and generally about most things, suddenly, and I say to him, he's like really grumpy. I hope he's not listening into this. But anyhow, he's grumpy. As anything, on the field, off the field, whatever. And then you say his first grandchild. And he comes alive. It's like he's fallen in love again. And you can't stop him. It's like, just stop. It's fine. It's great. He's so in love with his grandchild, he couldn't stop talking about him. Bernard comes alive. Or that person you meet when they first fall in love, it's just like, come on, get a life. But Paul is like that all the way through because of this incredibly dramatic way that he came to know Jesus. Obviously, he was reformed from a religious zealot who was about killing Um, and actually called Saul, uh, killing Christians to a point where he was just an absolute zealot for the things of Jesus, a slave. He gave his life and ultimately died for following this person, Jesus. This person, Paul, a slave for Christ, saying ultimately, though, as he terms that slave, we see as Romans goes through in this beautiful way that he actually says you can know real freedom. That actually... I might not be enslaved physically, but actually many of us are enslaved in a variety of ways. But in Jesus, you can know freedom. And this is such good news. It's such good news that we were taken from a place of sin and distance and darkness. And we have discovered Jesus. And Paul is saying, I am a slave to this. It is such good news. It is the gospel and the very heart of God. Paul was an obsessed lover of Jesus. He's the one who wrote this. And who was was it written for? Next slide. It was written for a bunch of Christians in the early church. In the Roman setup, there were at least... um, uh, There were at least um, uh, five... Around that time, around about five house churches that would meet, would eat. Eating was a big thing. They, they would feast. They would have time together. And they would do life together. But they were completely persecuted. They were completely under pressure. But they were a remarkable group of people. And you read it in Acts 16. It's full of a whole load of different types of of people from different backgrounds. There were, there were Greek names and Latin names and Jewish names. There are men. There are women who are involved in leadership within the life of that church. They're rich, they're poor, they're wealthy, they're slaves. He's writing to them in their situation. He's writing not just as some sort of mystic. He's writing the word of God directly into their situation. And it's relevant. It's so relevant, the stuff he says, for then and for now. One of my current sort of heroes, I, I listen to his podcast quite a lot, is a guy called Tom Holland. 
he's a historian and actually an agnostic. says he doesn't really believe uh, in it all. But he is entranced by this guy Paul, he says, because of the effect of Paul that he's had. And this amazing quote that we see here. Paul's letters are like a collection of acorns from which mighty oaks have grown. They are the most influential pieces of writing to have survived antiquity and their influence on Christian history and present day Western assumptions are incalculable. Someone who's not even a Christian says there's something about what we're going to read that is so incredible. And these have, this led to people who would be prepared to die within a few years there would be people that would be persecuted for the sake of what they discover in what Paul had talked about. 17th of July, 180 AD, seven men, five women stood trial in Carthage in North Africa, boldly confessing their faith in Jesus Christ. Despite the threat of of execution, they were condemned to die by the sword. During the trial, they were asked by the governor, what do you have in your bag? Books, replied one of the twelves, uh, one of the twelve, and letters of Paul, a good man. They knew the Gospels would be the books, but also they knew the letters of that man, Paul. I remember my sister who did a gap year in pre-Berlin Wall, Moscow. Uh, she was doing Russian at university. She wasn't a spy, don't worry. But she went out there and did a year there. She said it was one of the safest years she's ever been at in her life. The KGB absolutely everywhere. She lost her, uh, lost uh, her, all her addresses and her wallet once in a telephone box and within a day it was discovered and back in a huge city like Moscow. Um, you know, it was just that sort of place. But interestingly now, she took a Bible once, a couple of Bibles she'd brought along with her that happened to be Russian New Testament. <clears throat> Naughty. And she took them along to a church. And it was like you were giving bread to, a, to, a, to someone who was hungry. They grabbed it and literally were holding it like it was something precious. That is the sense you get here. And that is the sense of the word of God that we have in our hands so easily that we're talking about and is written to by Paul. So what does it say? I'm briefly going to... Uh, crack my way through these words here because coming back to this point, why should we believe in the good news of God? Why should we believe in the gospel of God? And we're going to look at the next few verses uh, onwards here. And there's three things I want to draw out. Firstly, this. The good news of God was planned. God's story. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who uh, asked, uh, who asked his, to his earthly life was a descendant of David. Now it seems you look at it and go, what's that mean? What he's saying is, Jesus came into history. Jesus was a real person. Jesus actually lived. It's a simple thing, but there are a lot of people around who say, well, Jesus was just one of many who wandered around. He says, Jesus actually lived. And he wasn't just one person at one time. He was the product of history. Over 500 prophecies are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. God has a plan. And sometimes we need that reminder, don't we? God has a plan. 
His plan was that from the beginning of time, we would be in perfect relationship with him. But we decided, no, we're going to do our own thing. And then he sent various people like Abraham right through the kings and into the prophets and all the way through. The plan was to draw people back to God. But ultimately, the only thing you had to do was by sending his only son, Jesus. It says here, who came, the descendant of David. You know what? The Old Testament is incredibly important. Never let people say, you know, I only read the New Testament. I don't bother with the Old. I don't understand that. There's too many nasty bits in there that I don't want to go into. There are the roots of Jesus all over the Old Testament. And Jesus came himself and said, I came to fulfill the law. I came to fulfill all that God had for me as part of his bigger plan. When you read the, the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the feasts, the tabernacle, the furniture even in the tabernacle, they all have a place of pointing us to Jesus. And so I encourage us, I suppose, to realize, as Paul is saying here, we look to a God who is sovereign and he is Lord. And that means that in the face of bad news, whether it's the big stuff, which I cannot get my brain around, or whether it's the little stuff in our lives, God has a plan. And you might say, well, you know, it's not just like sort of hope, hitting hope. You know what? My experience is, as I've stood back so often in the bad moments in my life, that God has got a plan there. And I think actually, if we're honest about it, we look back and we see God had a plan. We don't understand it, but he has a sovereign plan. God has it planned. That is good news. That is something we can say to people, you know what, I know a God who, even though I don't understand everything, he has a plan for the world. God's story is good. Secondly, the good news is that it's about a person. It's not about a concept or uh, some sort of, um, uh, just even, even some sort of value system that's nice and is quite cool in terms of our lifestyle. It's about a person. It's always better if it's about a person, isn't it? It's always better if it's about someone that we can actually connect with and talk with and be with. The heart of the good news is about a person. He says here, regarding his son, who, uh, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, um, from the resurrection, Jesus Christ our Lord. The one who stood in the gap, the one who was perfect, the one who was sinless, who took all the sin of the world onto himself, the one who rose again. That is such good news. Because if we do not have the resurrection, as Paul says elsewhere, what is the point? It's the most important thing. We've got nothing to share apart from really nice ideas and something to do on a Sunday morning. We actually share about a person who has been through it, has lived through it, and speaks to us beyond the grave because he has conquered death. Paul says that here. He loves each one of us so much. There is no one, Paul says, like Jesus. The good news is about Jesus. And this seems so simple here. But for some of us, we need to go to Jesus. 
Sometimes our problem is we go to everything but, don't we? We go to try and sort it all out. I do very often. I just need someone to say, go to Jesus about this. Paul says here, go to Jesus, for he is the one with the power. He is God's man who has come to us, who took all the punishment for our sin, which is death, so that we could have eternal life. Isn't that good news? The good news is God's plan, but also is also a person, and that is Jesus. And finally, the good news of God is for all people. The fact is here, through him, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, verse 5, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Immediately, he comes into a situation where, for some who were listening to it, probably thought, the Gentiles, okay, we're a bunch of us are Gentiles, but actually, this is a Jewish person we're talking about here. How do we connect? He's saying, this is for all people. And it's such an important truth. We need to realize it's only good news if it is good news for all. He has a vision here, a picture here of saying, through the grace and apostleship of what I'm doing here, I want to see a new people, a new collection of people who are good news and firstly good news with one another. And that's the challenge. The biggest problem is that when people look at the church, they don't see it as good news. They don't see that sense of people, regardless of their background, their situations, um, and whatever, coming together as one. Jew, Gentile, male, female, black, white, whatever, united. A wonderful picture. This price has been bought for us in Jesus so that we can share it with all people. The good news is good news for all. You don't have to have done certain things or been in certain places or be for certain backgrounds. It is good news for all. So what do we have to live for? We have so much to live for. Paul is saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live for him is the most wonderful thing out because God is inviting us to be part of his story. He's inviting us to walk with the one who made us know us, the person of Jesus. And he's also inviting us to be part of a family that is an incredible family. As I look out, an incredible family of shapes and sizes and backgrounds and feelings that he longs to know and draw together. This is just the beginning. We're going to be gospel part two next week. John Coles is going to be sharing a little bit more into this first chapter in Romans. But I do encourage you to take it away, read it. I know they're going to start the groups off this week. Grab the resources and let's really allow this book to seep into our souls. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for um, the fact that your word is so living and so relevant. Lord, we know that we need good news we look around us and we we feel a sense of sadness and loss and so often we can pick up all the the vibes around us we thank you lord that in you we can know such good news thank you that you are sovereign you are king 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. You weren't distant. You came and you walked this planet. You were the pure son of God. And thank you that you also have called us for a purpose, which is to see everyone encounter the transforming, free-giving life of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.